I think we have Lise Doucette with us. Lise Doucette is the uh, BBC's chief international correspondent. She is near the Gazi-Israeli border, I believe. Hi, Lise. Where are you? Hello. I'm. I'm good. Good. Um, good morning. Good evening. I'm in uh, southern Israel. I'm in the coastal city of Ashdod. Uh, which is very close to the Gaza border, and we spent the day much closer in the southern city of Ashdod, which is less than a mile from Gaza. And what is happening where you are? Well, even here in Ashdod, which is further away uh, from the Gaza border, we've had air raid sirens tonight, uh, rockets fired by Hamas landed in this community tonight, so you could hear... Uh, the loud explosions. But earlier in the day, when we were closer to the front, we saw more of the intense activity as Israel accelerates its military activity in preparation for what's widely expected to be a land incursion into Gaza. There was Israeli artillery firing uh, at all hours. There were rocket attacks fired by Hamas both into the the town of the Storot, where we spent most of the day, also in Ashkelon, which meant that we and anyone else who was still there, most people have left, had to take cover, rush to the nearest shelter. And Israel's air defense system, the Iron Dome, went into action, uh, which meant there were large blasts in, in succession. And all the while, you can see on the horizon the outline of Gaza City with a black plume of smoke always rising from the sky. It's coming under nearly non-stop bombardment. And it is from that area and the rest of the north of Gaza Strip that more than a million Palestinians were told by Israel to leave within the next 24 hours. In other words, that deadline is now about to expire. Do you know why Israel made that request I mean, I understand, it. I understand that it's, it's assumed that they're going to launch a ground invasion, but, but why tell everybody to evacuate to the south? It may be because in this current phase of the operation, Israel is concentrating on targeting Hamas infrastructure, destroying its networks, communications, logistics, and they're doing that by this bombardment, by the artillery fire. But they also want to destroy the network of tunnels. And if they want to smash the underground tunnels, which are vital to Hamas's operations, it's where the fighters can take refuge, is where they store their ammunition, their provisions. It's possible, too, that that's where they're hiding some of their hostages. But if Israel wants to destroy the tunnels, it also means smashing the infrastructure above ground, and that is houses and residential high-rises. So, in other words, it has to get civilians out of the way. And, of course, Hamas is unlikely to move the hostages south just because Israel asks everybody to move south. In fact, Hamas is likely to leave the hostages right where they are if they're in the north and say to Israel, it's on your head. Well, we're not sure the locations of the hostages, but there was another development in the last few hours. The Israeli Defense Forces, which is the title of the Israeli military, 
uh, revealed that in the past 24 hours, it, it carried out incursions into Gaza by land. And they did this to try to trace some of the missing people. In other words, some of the hostages. And it did this, it said also, it said that it had found some, in, in its terminology, terrorist cells of Hamas, that it had destroyed them. And that was interesting, that it actually revealed that it had found intelligence which would lead it to more of the hostages that will obviously alert Hamas of the ability of, Hamas, of the Israeli forces to try to get to where the hostages are. But we're still waiting for more details. But this is a signal that Israel's uh, military operation is, is gathering pace. I know just you mentioned the Iron Dome, the security and protection that Israel has. Um, the security failure, which allowed the Hamas attack a week ago, does that mean the Iron Dome was not operative at that point? Nothing was operating Nothing. at that point. Israel has one of the most high-tech walls in the world, about 40 miles long. Mm. I think it costs about a billion dollars with, with electronic sensors, with remote uh, guns, with uh, underground tunnels, with overground uh, barbed wire, electronic fences. It was with the much-vaunted impenetrable fence and yet Hamas fighters were able to penetrate it with old-fashioned bulldozers and motorcycles and given what Israel has told us so far that they were a few days ago they said they had recovered 1,500 bodies of Hamas fighters that means that many and more were able to breach the wall enter smash into kibbutzes and towns across southern Israel. And we are still uh, being told the grisly details of what they did once they arrived into these communities. Uh, absolutely horrific accounts. Uh, now, bodies are being found. The, the visiting U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, said he was shown photographs of babies with riddled with bullets, bodies burnt, soldiers uh, that were that were decapitated absolutely deprived depravity and this is why the shock is so profound in israel and the mood has, has so hardened that this is almost one of those before and after moments that the country the state of israel will never be the same because their their military their intelligence services prized as one of the best in the world, failed on every front. I mean, Hamas itself must have been astonished at its own success in its terms. Well, most likely, uh, yes. But it may have been watching what was happening in Israel, where there were extraordinary protests against the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, the streets of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, were being filled one week after another, thousands and thousands of Israelis protesting against his controversial judicial reform. Even members of the Israeli army and the reservists were saying they wouldn't uh, serve because of their anger over what he was trying to push through, backed by his right-wing government. 
And also it's believed, and we have to wait for the full inquiry, that because there were very, very, uh, there were repeated clashes between right-wing settlers who felt empowered by Mr. Netanyahu's government and Palestinians living in the West Bank, that Israel's forces and its attention was focused on the occupied West Bank and not on Gaza, where the overall impression was that Gaza, the Hamas didn't want another war. About 10 days before this, Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, said that the region was quiet now. So they had taken their eye off the ball and they were caught off guard at the end of a religious festival. Journalists have been injured and a Reuters cameraman, I think, killed in South Lebanon. Do you know any more about that at this point? Yes, this is. these are tragic accounts. There are much mourning across uh, social media. The details started coming in a few hours ago. This is the what's being called the second front in this war, the rising tensions on Israel's northern border. Uh, with southern Lebanon. It's a stronghold of Lebanon's Hezbollah movement, the most powerful military and political force in Lebanon. Israel has been uh, attacking hosts across the border. Hezbollah has been firing rockets. And today, tragically, it happens whenever there is a conflict and journalists are rushing to the front, as close as possible to the front line, trying to keep themselves safe and then they find themselves either going too far or finding themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. And do we know what killed the Reuters cameraman and injured the others? Was it Israeli? Was it Hezbollah? Well, I, I think we have to wait for the... We we assume it was Israeli fire since they were on the Lebanese side of the border, but the details are still just coming in. The The names have been announced and we're, we're waiting for details. Do you see Hezbollah as getting actively involved in this? It's widely believed that Hezbollah, on first, on first of all, does not really want to get involved. They, they themselves suffered enormously when they had their own war uh, with Israel many years ago. And Lebanon itself is reeling from its own uh, breakdown and in its politics, finances, the, the, the country is on its knees in, in every which way. The people of Lebanon would not want to be drawn into someone else's war. But if Israel does carry out a very risky land operation where there are high numbers of civilian casualties, then all bets are off. Hezbollah would feel it has no other option but to join the fray. Hezbollah, of course, is its most powerful backer is Iran. Iran is also a backer of Hamas, financing it, arming it, although both American and Israeli officials say they don't believe Iran was involved in this, in, ex- in organizing or executing Hamas's current assault. But they also will, ha- will think hard if this conflict intensifies. Also, it's hard to imagine that Hamas would exist at all without Iran. Well, Hamas has its own has its own objective, its mind of its own. Um, and but Hamas does it? But would it have resources? Of organization. It, would it have resources of its own without Iran? Well, we've seen. You know, Hamas has been active for decades. I, I remember when I was based here in the nineteen nineties. 
they used to fire Qasem, Qasem uh, rockets into Israel, small, crude missiles. They found ways to inflict damage, cause suffering, provoke fear among Israelis. They didn't have much means, but they still could cause uh, damage and, and also cause real worry on the Gaza in the on the border of Gaza in southern Israel. Now they have far more capacity. And yes, that is helped by Iran, but not just by Iran. And given the fanatical uh, de uh, determination of some of Hamas members, particularly in its military wing, I think they would have found some way. It was easier with support and not just the support of, of Iran. They would have found other backers. If it wasn't Iran, they would have found someone else. And Hamas also has relations with many Arab states. Its political leaders are based in the Gulf state of Qatar. And even, but even the political leaders of Hamas didn't know about this, this operation that, which unfolded on Saturday. And it's widely believed that they didn't want this kind of operation. Some of Hamas's political leaders have been, have been focusing on hard to try on how to move away from the gun to try to have a different kind of leadership, a more responsible leadership, a governance in Gaza, a rule of, gov of government and not of guns. But the military wing, the hardliners, are the ones who are holding sway now. There has been quite an outspoken peace movement in Israel, the left-wing peace movement. I suppose you could categorize it as that is not going to find a particularly easy road to hoe in the immediate future, is it? Well, right now, they themselves are shocked, angered, profoundly grieving. And some of those most active uh, peace uh, promoted, proponents of peace are now missing. There's a woman, Rachel Silver, who a Canadian... Israeli, who was we, the last sighting was that she was taken from her kibbutz in southern Israel. She was the first to try to help Gazans in previous wars. She stood at the border to try to bring Gazans to medical care when they couldn't find medical care um, in their in their own territory because it's even when there's when the when the bombs aren't dropping and the artillery falling, Gazans. Healthcare is on the verge of collapse. So even some of the, the most peaceful, pro-peace activists in Israeli society found themselves targeted in this horrific assault, these atrocities by Hamas. So yes, there's no, there's no way that they could... It will harden their views on Hamas. But what we are hearing is that it will not uh, crack their, their belief that the only way to deal with these problems in, in Gaza, the only way to bring about security for Israelis is not through military means, but through a political process which, which accepts uh, Palestinian rights and allows Palestinians to control their own future. So I don't think peace activists would have been shaken from that belief. They know it will be much, much harder now but they will also think that a military only a military solution will only bring this around again i was here in 2014 for the last major escalation where israel vowed to crush 
Hamas's networks vowed to destroy its capacity to fire rockets into Israel. During that escalation, Israel allowed journalists to be inside Gaza. So we saw uh, the campaign firsthand. And here we are, a dec- nearly a decade on, and Hamas is back with even more firepower, more determination to carry out even more atrocious acts. So something is not working. One Israeli, the mayor of Sirot, where we've been Sirot, where we've been spending a lot of time, which bears the brunt of the rockets every time there's an escalation, told us angrily the reason why military operations didn't succeed in the past. He said it is because the leaders of Britain, the uh, United States and other countries call up the Israeli prime minister one, two weeks into the war and say, stop, stop, stop. You know, there's too many civilian casualties. And he said, this time we must not stop. We must completely destroy, completely crush Hamas. But I think the history of these kind of movements is that you cannot crush them by force alone. This will just give rise from the embers of a new generation, even more militant than the past. What do you make of the Israeli unity government, Lise? Is it a kind of wartime convenience or does it augur a change for the future? Well, a unity government is what Prime Minister Netanyahu wanted. It's what he needed. He needed to have the country behind him, especially after a period where most of the country was was against him. He also needed experienced military men around him because there's hardly any in his, his cabinet now. It's not called a unity government. It's called a national emergency government. He has some very experienced military people at his side. Benny Gantz is one of them, um, the former head of the IDF who became uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's political rival. Prime Minister Netanyahu beat him in the elections. And there's no love lost between these men. Other members of Benny Gantz's political uh, party have also joined. They're also military men. So he has his national emergency government, a wartime cabinet. The Ministry of Defense is also in it. Some other members of the party. Whatever differences Israelis have with Prime Minister Netanyahu's political coalition, whatever differences they have with him personally, and the grievances run deep, when Israel is under attack, and it is under attack in a way it feels it has never been under attack before, then the country pulls together. It's interesting, isn't it? Because earlier this year, many reservists said that they would refuse to serve, refuse Nick, if the... uh, if the changes that Mr Netanyahu wanted to the judiciary were adopted. But I, as I understand it now, the figures would indicate that when the chips are down, they are serving. More than 300,000 have responded to the call. And bear in mind that in Israel, the army is called the People's Army. Everyone serves in the Israeli Defence Forces and everyone can be called back to serve in the Israeli uh, Defense Forces. When we drove from Jerusalem down to the south, we saw along long stretches of highway, the road was lined with cars for miles. These were the cars that reservists drove to the military center. They got out of their cars to pick up their gun, pick up their uniform, and head to the front. A, A 
such powerful symbol of how many how Israelis are now pulling together instead of pulling apart as they did before this crisis erupted. So are you waiting at the moment to see if the ground forces are going to go in? It's widely assumed it's not a question of if, if, if it's a question of when. Mm. This latest announcement by the IDF that they have already carried out limited incursions for, for specific targets indicate that this might be a gradual process. And if they feel that by the bombardments, by their complete closure, which is choking Palestinians, denying them food, water and electricity, and also uh, by these by these limited raids, if they can achieve their objectives, they won't need to go in with a full-scale assault. But given what they are saying about what they want to achieve, given what didn't work before, it's widely assumed that they believe that the only, and certainly the public, the public mood from the street to the highest offices of the land is that Hamas's unprecedented assault demands Israel's unprecedented reply. And although there are these pressures on Israel to be mindful of civilian casualties, to remember the rules of war and not target civilians, Israel is now under huge pressure to protect its people and, in its words, to destroy Hamas. Prime Minister Netanyahu said they're going to smash those tunnels and they're going to kill every member of Hamas. This is possibly an impossible question to answer, but you may have some light to shed on it. If you were an inhabitant of the Gaza Strip, would you be inclined to think that Hamas was on your side or not? It's very difficult to measure the public mood in Gaza. The Gazans are not free. Uh, they're doubly cursed by the control that Israel exercises over their lives and controlling the airspace um, and uh, the seas and almost all the crossings except the one into Egypt. But it is also cursed by the politics. First of all, when it was ruled by the Palestinian Authority of Yasser Arafat, which was a rule mired in corruption and cronyism, Hamas then kicked out Yasser Arafat's uh, Fatah faction after Palestinian elections where Hamas swept the board. And Hamas has ruled with an iron fist. And while that rule has deprived Gazans of some of their freedoms, it's not it's nothing in comparison to what they think Israel has done. But also they also share, while they may not share Hamas's tactics, they share its anger at Israeli policies, its anger at the way the peace process has all but it, it simply doesn't exist. And just like Israelis pull together, so too do people living in Gaza pull together. But quite frankly, right now, Gazans on the run, Gazans sheltering in basements with food running out, no electricity, children screaming through the night, traumatized. The batteries on their cell phones have probably long died. They probably didn't get the message from Israel to leave and Hamas to stay. There, they are only focused on how to survive. Uh, it's very good to talk to you, Lise. Thank you so much for your time. I know that things are happening a lot. Um, stay safe, huh?
Thank you very much and thank you for your interest. Lise Doucette, who is the BBC's Chief International Correspondent.